I'm Austin. I'm Mike. We are the test drivers. And we put tech through its paces. And today we've got a little box to put through its paces. An Xbox. Yeah, you've got your hands on one of those, haven't you? Well, at least an empty one, which is that must be kind of funny. I, I must say, it was uh, kind of funny to watch the videos that you put up um, where you're showing <laughs> where you were showing off the hardware because when you pick it up, it's so clearly light, right? Like it's so clearly <laughs> empty. Um, yeah, I was surprised they don't put weights in them. So the the dummy units or the the faux units that they had sent out. So the Series S was actually fairly close. So it actually had like the real like internal chassis and stuff. It just was oh. missing the motherboard. Okay. But the X was literally the chassis and a fan. There was literally nothing inside it whatsoever. So it's hilariously light compared to the really heavy, dense Series X, the the real unit. Yeah, it just looks so, super funny to me. You're just like manhandling these these consoles, <laughs> like they're just it's just no problem. There's no problem for us in Evans. Just throw those things around. Oh yeah, I, I lift Xboxes and Playstations every day, man. Day. I, I'm jacked. Getting your reps in. <laughs> On, uh, to be honest, when you look at those two things together, uh, it does kind of look like you could get some reps in on the Xbox Series X because that Series S is so small. But anyway, yes. we're, we're going to get to this later on. We'll talk about the fact that you don't have to eat the podcast. We'll get to all of that. But I have some yeah, things maybe. I wanted to talk to you before we dive into our main topic today, which will be uh, everything that has happened since the last episode in regards to the console wars, because there's been mm. an awful lot. But I wanted to to talk a little bit about uh, the NVIDIA cards again, because there's yeah. been a bit more information. They've also gone on sale. Um, well, <laughs> Well, sale in yeah. quotes. <laughs> uh, some were sold to some people. Uh, but because I've been thinking about, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, building like one of these small form factor PCs at some mm-hmm. point. It seems to be all the rage these days, right? Like they're yeah. basically much smaller PCs that you can put on your desk. And I don't mean like, what's, what's the new version of the Nook that Intel's making? What is that called? Uh, well, they have a couple of different versions, but I know what you mean as far as like something that is essentially you drop in your memory, drop in your SSD, and essentially you call it a day usually. I guess you throw a copy of Windows in. But yeah, so there are a few different options. But for these new cards, if you want to install really any kind of internal graphics card, you're probably going to want to go either ITX or Micro. I'm actually considering uh, a similar sort of thing because my personal rig is well out of date at this point. I'm actually thinking about doing like a micro ATX rig just because I want to have a little bit of extra space, not only for the, well, we'll talk about it, but the enormous cards, but also I want to be able to install things like a capture card inside to be able to have a little bit of sort of ability to run like my camera in and, you know, game cap and that kind of stuff. Because I was thinking like the, what I'm not thinking about is like that Razer thing. You know what I'm oh, talking oh, about? The, tomahawk. the tomahawk. Yes. Yeah, that's not the kind of thing. Like, I still want to. <sighs> I still want to build it. I still want it to be like yeah. an actual PC. Those things look cool, but it still mm-hmm. seems to me like too new of a technology, really. And yeah. Well, and you're also pretty limited, right? So you only have the ability to install a graphics card, right? Yep. So no external like capture cards and stuff. Don't want to do. That. And you're still running essentially a laptop processor. I mean, mm-hmm. sure, it's 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 fine for gaming. But you're, you're kind of limited on the upgrades that you can do and the fact that they're very expensive on at least the Intel branded version. I actually don't even know if Razer has sold the Tomahawk. They actually may not have even put it on sale, mm. but it's a little, a little hard. I, I feel like the full custom route, especially with these new RTX cards, is definitely the way to go. 
Yeah. So what what are you saying? Micro RTX. Uh, ATX. 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 Yeah. Okay. So like a like a mid chassis, right? So something uh, with like right, four yep. PCI slots. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I definitely like the idea of a slightly smaller rig. Um. So I guess I mean, there's a lot of options right now. So I guess first of all, on the graphics card side, mm. we know that we have 3070, 3080, and 3090. Mm-hmm. So as of recording. 3080 is out. It is benchmarked. It was sold to 35 people and 400,000 bots, according to Twitter. Yeah. Uh, which, no doubt, it looks like an incredibly powerful card, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that thing is steams through 4K. I mean, it absolutely just sends it no matter what you're really throwing at it, unless I guess it's like, what, what is it? The can you run crisis mode on the new crisis? Like, that's the only thing. Yeah, that- I saw the, the Linus video. That was a fun video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But beyond that, you also have a couple of other options. So, on the reasonable, sane side of things, there's the 3070. Now, as a recording, we don't have a ton of info. Like, it's not available for sale. No benchmarks are out, anything like that. So, it looks like a perfectly reasonable upgrade. And if it's anywhere near a 2080 Ti at 500 bucks, it seems like a no-brainer. But then, Mike, there's the questionable side of things, which you know I'm always drawn to, which is the 3090. Um, okay. So... Actually, I don't know when the actual benchmarks will come out for this as opposed to when we're recording, so I'll have to be a little vague. But 3090 is a much, much more expensive card, right? So you're talking well over $1,000 for this thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, the performance may or may not be worth that extra money. It is certainly a more powerful card. It has lots more memory. But the performance, if you're a reasonable same human being, you probably shouldn't buy and spend that extra money on a 3090 but uh, I might, I might, I might do it. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm, I kind of have to, right? A 3080 is what I would be targeting personally. Like, I don't, I don't need a 3090. Like, I really don't need that. Like, it's, it's mm-hmm. way more than, uh, than I need, especially from what I'm coming from. Um, so you know, it would be such a huge upgrade for me anyway. But yeah. what I wanted to show you was a. Uh, so when the 3080 went up. Um, mm-hmm. I thought, all right, I'll go take a look. Like, I'm not, the, my uh, my idea of building a small PC is not required immediately. Like, it's it's a sometime, maybe late 2020, early 2021 project, right? Okay. At the earliest, um, and it's actually something that I will want to talk about on this show when I do get around to doing it because I think it'll be fun. Because we've not really spoken about like building a gaming PC on the show yet, so yeah. I thought that might be a fun thing to talk about. But I thought. Eh, I'll go take a look. Maybe I'll just order one of the the uh, cards just in case it gets sold out as we get th- further to Christmas. And there's a there's a website called Overclockers here, which I, it was on Nvidia's website. It's like this is the place to go, right? Mm-hmm. So I opened it up and I put this link in the show notes so everyone can see what I'm talking about here. And I I went to this page, right? And there are about nine different cards that are all okay. saying they're 3080. And mm-hmm. there is no option here for me to buy what is it the image at the top, which is the NVIDIA Founders Edition version. And oh. looking at this page, I cannot work out what, <laughs> what should I buy any of these? Like, why? <laughs> right? Like, do, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't understand do. what I'm <laughs> supposed to be buying here or why, what is going on with all of these cards and why they're all different prices made by different companies. Like, it's, it's very confusing to me. 
So uh, generally speaking, the way that it looks like this launch, and I know definitely the way they've handled things in the past, it's sort of split up into two categories. So the third-party companies, the Gigabytes, the Asus, yep. the EVGAs of the world, will, of course, make their own custom 3080s, mm-hmm. and they'll slap them full of like RGB and everything. There's nothing wrong with these cards whatsoever. Oftentimes, right. they're overclocked, blah, 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 right? Like, there's nothing wrong with them. Usually, they're around the same price. I know that they're, they're spec differently. They're designed differently, and I got that. But the thing is, I was surprised because I've been following the news about the 3080, and not once had I seen any mention of the fact that on launch day, you would be Mm -hmm. able to get any 3080 that wasn't made by NVIDIA. Like, I don't know if this was maybe just something that I'd missed, but all of the press that I'd seen focused on this one card that looked just like that one at the top of this page, which is what you've seen if you've seen any coverage of the 3080s, 3090s, 3070s. And then I was given all of these, like, wildly (laughs) different-looking designs Mm -hmm. and it's like me as a somewhat knowledgeable individual in this space but nowhere near enough i'm coming to it and i'm like if i buy one of these am i gonna be walking myself into a bad decision you know no no you're totally fine i mean look i definitely like the look of the the stock or i guess the the founder's style nvidia 3080 that they have in all like the marketing yeah i want just like the simple one so you will be able to get one of those. Um, typically, or at least here in the U.S., I don't know how it is over there, but typically you just buy it directly from NVIDIA. So you don't go through yeah. any kind of like third party. Um, right now, surprise, surprise, it's out of stock. Uh, NVIDIA has been out sort of fairly straightforwardly, like saying, like, hey, look, we're sorry we didn't have enough. We want to make sure it's a smooth experience. We're going to be constantly restocking with more and more cards. But I think it's going to be a while before you get your hands on that one. I think that's definitely what most people are after. It depends. I mean, like, if you don't care about the aesthetics or if you don't mind some of the other third-party cards, they're going to be just as good and probably a little bit easier to get your hands on. But regardless, I think it's going to be, I don't know, a a few months before 3080 stock even is remotely stable and able to keep in because people are absolutely going crazy over these cards right now. And that is because of everything that we've spoken about, right? It's price and value that they've got mm-hmm. going on here is, is kind of bananas. It's, it's kind of funny, actually. I'm on uh, NVIDIA's website right now, and they have like a shop page, and right at the very top is their card, the, G, the GeForce RTX 3080, and I press the Buy Now button, and a pop-up, <laughs> a pop-up appears that says nothing. It just says NVIDIA GeForce RTX 3080, <laughs> and that's it. That's all the pop-up says. So I press Buy Now, it tells me the name of the card, but does nothing else. So like NVIDIA, like I appreciate you and I know you're going through some stuff right now and like good luck. But like, yeah, I, <laughs> what I want is one of those. Like that, that's what I want because, you know, I like th- a lot of the gamer aesthetic. Like I like RGB and that kind of stuff, but most yeah. of these cards, they are far too aggressive looking for what I'm sure. looking for out of a build, which because I want to go for that micro, like that, like that, basically Smaller. desktop small form factor. I want mm-hmm. to be a little bit more particular about the looks of it. And one of the things that I want to be able to control is the is the graphics card. Just because from my yeah. own experience, like depending on you know, I want my RGB to all be in sync, right? And that can sometimes be tricky with the card that you buy, depending on who you buy it from. Because mm-hmm. like if you buy Asus's, well, they're going to want you to use their RGB controller. But then if you end up getting, yeah, like it's like a whole thing, right? And you end oh, yes. up in a bit of a mess. So I just, for the card, I just wanted to keep it simple. So I'm going to yeah. keep my eye on it. And I think I'm going to go for one of these down the line. Uh, but, you know, all in all, like 
especially for someone like me, it seems like, no, they definitely held up their end of the bargain. And this does look like a very well-performing, very well-priced card. Yes, I think the 3080 is going to be perfect for you. I would recommend, though, if you have a little bit of a flexible timeline, hold out. We're not far away from the next-gen Ryzen processors. It seems very likely that we will have them on sale before the end of the year. Personally, for my rig, I'm absolutely going to be doing that. I'm going to wait to see. I mean, I'm not... 100% 100% positive I'm going to go with it, but everything from the leaks and the rumors and just sort of the general momentum seems like Zen 3 is going to be a pretty big step over what already is probably the best sort of gaming CPU out there. I'm going to wait for sure. I mean, because I was super happy with my AMD processor that I have in my current one. Like that machine, I had absolutely zero problems with it until I threw a flight simulator at it. And it's the only game that I've ever had any issues yeah. with. That was yeah. the thing that made me realize that it might be time right (laughs) but you know i feel like everybody had that problem with flight simulator yeah absolutely i mean you've got stuff like ray tracing which you don't have on your current card you're going to have a significantly big step up in performance which Mm -hmm. i think is nice because i feel like every time we get a new console generation to me it's always a pretty good time to think about like okay how are you going to set up your game pc for the next few years right are you going to be I hate this word, but like future-proof, right? And I think having something like one of these RTX 30 series cards seems like a very smart move to make sure that at least you'll be able to play all of the games at rate traced, max settings, blah, 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 for the next few years. It just seems like a smart time to upgrade. I'll put my uh, my PC part picker page in the, in the show notes in case people are interested. But I built this a few years ago, so I have a Ryzen 7 and a GTX 1080. That's mm-hmm. where I am. So it served me very well. Um, but really, the case that I have is absolutely massive, like just so large. Yep. And that came because it was my first PC build. And on your recommendation, get something with a bit of room in because I didn't know what mm-hmm. I was doing. So like, I wanted to, to give myself some space to build in. And it was great for that. But to be honest, it was a much easier process than I thought. So I'm willing to give myself a little bit of a challenge next time, I think. Hey, man, small form factor, like the builds look great when they're done, but like they get really infuriating sometimes when you're like, I can't like if my finger was half an inch shorter, I could reach to the screw on the bottom. Like there's a lot of that kind of stuff, but it is a fun challenge. I want that challenge. I think I, I think I want that <laughs> challenge for, for just a little bit of fun, I think, for my uh, my next gaming PC project. And plus, just like aesthetically, like I, I want something that can sit on a desk or just under a desk and be a a, a much nicer experience because my current PC is a, I think, I think will take all the attention in a room. It's massive. (laughs) Hey man, you got to keep them thick sometimes. I think so. This episode of the test drivers is brought to you by hover. One of my favorite companies to use because I'm always having ideas for new projects, new business ideas, And the place that I go first is to hover because when you have that great idea, when you want to get your business started, it all starts with a great domain name. Hover is that first step. They have over 300 domain name extensions to choose from. So no matter what you want to build, there is a domain name waiting for it. They have excellent technical support to answer any questions you have. They are dedicated to getting you online, not upselling you. And that is one of my very favorite things about Hover. I've used companies in the past before I found Hover where they were trying to make me pay for what's called who is privacy and who is privacy basically means if you if you don't have that enabled in your domain 
personal information about yourself, which you have to give to the domain registrar to get the registration through, can actually be publicly accessed. But with Hover, they offer free who is privacy on every domain that supports it. That is just included. They're not trying to nickel and dime you and squeeze those extra cents out. Um, and that's one of the things that I absolutely love about Hover. Maybe you've always wanted to try live streaming. Maybe you want to build your next gaming PC so you can be ready to become a Twitch streamer. Why not grab a .live domain and have it redirect to your favorite streaming platform. Hover can do that. And it's super awesome because with these types of domains, if you're not getting a .com or a .net, many more options are available to you because not all of the names are taken. So you might be able to get your name at .live, right? And then you'll be having that set up. You'll be perfect and ready to go. I also love that Hover has a super clean user experience. It's very, very easy to use. It's very, very easy to set forwards on domains, which is something that I do a lot. With Hover, you can search, register, and forward a domain in minutes. The whole thing, the whole process. Go try it for yourself. Super, super easy. So go today, right now, and start using Hover right away. Go to hover.com slash test drivers. You will also get a 10% discount on all new purchases. That URL one more time is hover.com slash test drivers, and you'll get that 10% discount on all new purchases. Make a name for yourself with Hover. And thanks to Hover for their support of the test drivers and Relay FM. Can you tell me what on earth the LG Wing is? <laughs> okay, so full disclaimer, for the Wing, I actually was the host of the launch event, which was very cool. Obviously, mm-hmm. in 2020 being a, an interesting year, a lot of companies are trying to do things differently. And thankfully, LG reached out and asked me to at least do a little bit of the hosting to kind of like do the whole virtual launch event. So the LG Wing is... I would say in the flippy boy category, but it is a very different kind of dual screen. It's a twisty boy. (laughs) Actually, yeah, yeah, it's a twisty boy. I'll go with that. I'll go with that. So essentially from the front, the LG Wing looks like a standard slab smartphone. But like the sort of the the mid-2000s phones that would like, you know, you would swivel around and have a keyboard, the Wing does the same thing. So essentially, you flip the screen to the left, right? So if you're holding it in your hand, you flip it to the left, and the entire main display rotates into a T-shape. And below that, you will actually have a 3.9-inch secondary display. So it's actually fairly simple. The mechanism feels great. It's got like a little bit of a soft close, kind of like a, like a high-end car door or something. But that's basically what the wing is all about. Other than that, it's fairly similar to something like the LG Velvet. So mm-hmm. it's got like decent specs, 5G and everything. But really the start of the show there is the idea that this is a phone which gives you essentially a decent amount of extra screen real estate that you can do whatever it is that you want with. How thick is it? Uh, a little bit thick. So yeah. I think it's, uh, it's like 10, 11 millimeters. So it's not crazy it's certainly thinner than something like a z flip or a z fold but it's thicker than your like your iphone or your pixel yeah. or whatever it's going to be sitting yeah. in the middle which kind of makes sense you would expect that i think from a, a product like this so i have a few questions so there are some okay. things that are really wild to me about this phone and i wanted to talk about it because we love to talk about weird phones on this show so one mm-hmm. thing that's like why does it so when you flick it out it like yeah it flicks it, it seems to have like a, a is it like motorized and it, it seems to slowly at the end move into position what's going on there so that's the soft close mechanism so essentially it again it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like uh, old school phones if you would like slide out a keyboard obviously it's a slightly different mechanism but it's a similar sort of thing so basically 
Uh, if you like take your thumb and you push on the bottom right side of the screen, it will start like rotating out. All you need to do is just kind of push it a little bit and then sort of like I, I, there's some series of like springs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I don't actually fully know how they built the hinge, but essentially you just get it started and then it will swing out. And then sort of as it comes to the end, it has this little soft close mechanism. So it kind of slowly glides in and opens. It's actually really clever, right? And they've done, you know, a million durability tests or 200,000 or whatever the number is. Like they've tested it. It feels to me pretty secure. Mm-hmm. I will always say with something like this, it's not going to be, you know, as durable as a standard phone just because you have the ability. If you have it open, you drop it. There's more points of, you know, it could get damaged or whatever. Yeah, like, you could snap that other screen right off there, right? Like if you're doing something, <sighs> I mean, you know, which is different maybe, to, to a, you know, potentially. I mean, like, but that is a thing that you may have not had with your, well, you, typically you can't break the screen off your phone, but yeah. there might be something you could do that. Anytime you're adding some kind of mechanism into exactly. the smartphone. I mean, and it's similar with a feature that this has, which is the pop-up cameras, which is hilarious yes. to me, really, that this also <laughs> has a pop-up selfie camera. I understand why they <laughs> did it, because it's like, where would you put the camera mm. otherwise? Do you have two of them? And you've kind of got to make sure it's always in the right place, plus the pop-up motion means it's always going to clear the other screen when it's on. But it's still funny to me that it also has a pop-up camera on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, like... There's a lot that you have to do with this because, like, on the surface, when you flip it out, again, you've got that T-shape. So the actual main display, which is now is sort of in a landscape sort of mode, you have a little bit of a sliver above that. But mm-hmm. there's really nothing there besides just, like, the earpiece. And then you have the, the screen below. But the thing is with the wing, you can actually rotate it. So even though you can use it in, like, that T-mode, so you're holding, like, a normal phone and you just have the, the, vertical, or the horizontal right, right. screen on top. It's so hard to describe this thing on a podcast. I feel like you really need to look at a video. Well, also because there's, there's been nothing like this in the modern age before, right? Yes. Like, which is yes. why it's tricky to, to understand. But there'll be, the LG Wing page will be in there. In the notes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would recommend anyone to check this out in the show notes just to get a visual because one of the things I found legitimately useful about the wing was actually using it in different orientations. So unlike something like the Surface Duo, which was, uh, I would say, maybe a touch slow sometimes when you're like opening another screen, it fires it up, you rotate around. Like it was sometimes a little bit kind of slower than I'd like. The wing actually does a good job of handling the display. So you rotate it. You can use it in any orientation. So you can have the actual main screen on the bottom. And you have your second screen on top. You can rotate it to the left or to the right. And essentially, that screen can work in a couple different ways. So you can – what I usually did was I would usually use that as like uh, Twitter or something, right? So I'd be watching a video on the top screen while I'm scrolling Twitter on the bottom. Or alternatively, you can rotate it around to the side. You can throw up something like your – like play and pause controls, right? So if you're watching a video, you can actually use it for like full media controls. There are a couple of things that you can use. You can just lock that screen if you just want to hold it because it's kind of a little bit more helpful to, or at least a little bit more comfortable to hold the bottom of the screen. So you're still getting that sort of like landscape viewing experience, but you don't have to kind of like awkwardly hold it on the edges of the display. Like it's, it's something that takes a little bit of getting used to, but the nice thing is you just close it if you don't want the extra features and you just want to use just like a normal phone. Like there's some stuff about the phone which is sort of, very unique, I think. It's something that kind of takes a little bit of getting used to, but it's cool. The last thing I wanted to mention on it, because I just thought it was funny when I'm scrolling through the page, it's just like so LG really to me. They have a ASMR recording mode. <laughs> they have that on a lot of their phones. Do they? You know, I, I will actually say, 
So uh, I've used it a couple of times just for like some demos. But um, Wes, who works here, he has a, I believe he has a V50 right now. He uses it to record, like he has these rabbits. He uses it to record like the sound of like the rabbits is like they like chew and stuff. The videos are actually really cool. Like it's not something I would use all that often, but it's like, I kind of get it. It's a nice thing to have. It's just something else you can do. But they have like other modes with the video specifically where you can, I actually does a good job of like cutting out, I think it's called like voice poker or something where it cuts out like some background noise. Like they do some good stuff on the video side that I think companies like Samsung, for example, could take some notes from because they do a good job of really pushing the the pro video side of things, like giving you like 24p and sort of more manual control over things. But yeah, I mean, there's obviously lots of um lots of options as always in the software. I mean, I'm just happy that there are still companies out there that are doing super weird things. You know, yeah. like, this is definitely yeah. one of those weird things. So, you know, I can appreciate it is what I'll say. Yeah, it's cool. Like, I, I think it is in a slightly different category than a lot of the flippy boy phones that we've been talking about so far this year. But that being said, it's something that like, it could be terrible, right? Like you could look at this design and go, oh, this just is dumb. It doesn't work. But it doesn't really have a huge downside. It's a little bit thicker. But essentially, you're just getting a different way of getting extra screen real estate. And as far as I'm concerned, like, it is a pretty solid first try something like this. Because LG's been doing a lot of, like, dual screen devices with, like, their cases and whatnot before. But this, to me, feels like a good sort of middle ground where it's not, like, necessarily a folding phone. It's not necessarily, like, a dual screen phone in the true, like, Surface Duo sense of the word. But when you want a little bit of extra screen real estate to browse Twitter or to check an email or something really quick while you're playing a game, it works really well. This is the thing that I see from, and I mean, we'll see it from like LG, Sony, companies like that in the Android space, where it's like, real. I think it's kind of realizing that if they make regular phones, they're not really mm-hmm. going to capture enough market because Samsung has basically owned it, right? It's like the oh, Samsung yeah. market and then everybody else. So creating phones that have these, I don't really want to call them gimmicks as such. They're like part gimmick, part just like different form factor. So like you're looking at this, you've got like Sony who have their, is it a 21 by 9 screen that they have on their phones now? And they're really leaning into like, hey, we make good cameras. So we're now the camera phone. Uh, and like as in like quote unquote camera like it has the camera settings like very reminiscent of mm-hmm. Sony's other camera lines I think that it's a smart move to try and capture the an enthusiast audience right and so like I could imagine people seeing this LG phone and being like that is what I want right and like they're not you're not going to get everyone with this but I bet you end up capturing up a selection of people who look at it and be like all of the things you're showing me, that's stuff I want to do. Yes. It's similar as far as I'm concerned. It's similar to what you get on a lot of car companies, right? So, you know, take a lot of companies who will sell like a, a Halo sports car, right? Yep. You might not want to go in and spend $100,000 on the, the sports car, but that might get you thinking and you'll end up getting the, the sedan or, or the SUV or whatever. Like, it's kind of like that. We make these really cool things and we take, you know, that, DNA and the essence and it trickles down to the other products, right? Like it's almost one of those things well where the product doesn't necessarily need to sell hugely. It doesn't have to be for everyone, but it just sort of puts that association in your head that like we are a company who makes sort of next gen high end sort of products and features and cars. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing with the smartphone area right now because like if you look at what Apple has done for many years, 
they've really positioned themselves as the Halo product, period, right? You want the iPhone. It's the best, et cetera, et cetera. And I think a lot of these new manufacturers, or not necessarily new manufacturers, but new types of phones for companies like LG and Sony and Microsoft and whatnot, Samsung, of course, they're realizing, hey, you know what? We can actually get some of that market. We can kind of be different and unique as opposed to just making the same kind of slightly iterative designs every year. And I think that's something that is sort of a twofold win for everyone because, you know, you and I get to play with the crazy, wacky new form factors and it's cool. But I think for the average person, like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, but uh, where's that velvet, though? So throughout the month of September here at Relay FM, we are continuing to raise money for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital uh, in honor of uh, cancer, Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, which is throughout the whole month of September. Between 180,000 and 240,000 children are diagnosed every single year with cancer. And treatments invented at St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital have helped push the overall childhood cancer survival rate from 20% to more than 80% since it opened more than 50 years ago. And St. Jude's mission is to not stop until no child has died from cancer. Supporting St. Jude's life-saving mission of finding cures and saving children during Childhood Cancer Awareness Month is super easy. Just go to stjude.org slash relay. That is stjude.org slash relay, and you can donate today. Uh, I want to thank everyone in our listenership across all of the Relay FM shows from the bottom of my heart, from all of our hearts, because we surpassed our goal. We wanted to raise $315,000. As of our recording right now, we've, we're over $340,000 raised oh, for St. Jude, which is unbelievable. It's crazy. Um, and if anybody that choose, tuned into the podcast at the time, we really appreciate it. Um, it was a huge success. I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, both the audio and video versions of the uh, podcast-a-thon that we've got going on, so you can go and check those out right now if you missed it. Uh, Austin, thank you for joining us again on the podcast-a-thon and for everything you've of done this month to help us raise money uh, for St. Jude. Absolutely, man. It's crazy. I feel like we had, what, like two weeks or so between mm-hmm. our podcast recordings, and it went from, like, what, like 50 to over $300,000? Like, that's yeah. crazy, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the 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 Relay FM community really kind of came out full force for this thing, and we're super super thankful for it. And yeah, we we've ended up doing like just so much more than we we thought we were going to. Like we were, you know, there was a part there where three fifteen felt like a goal that was going to be incredibly hard to hit. Uh, of course, and we ended up like absolutely smashing through it. So you know, we're, we're all super, super, super thankful for the support that everybody's shown us and the support that people are showing St. Jude, which is just an incredible institution. So, uh, yeah, if you want to, the, the, the podcast-a-thon is like seven hours, uh, go ahead and like, <laughs> you can go wild. Like, you, I, as I said, there's an audio and video version. If you listen to the audio, like more power to you, like a, the video I think is where it's at, but that's all on YouTube for you now. If you want to, you want to like skim through it, there's a lot of fun stuff going on there. That's awesome, man. I'm so happy that it went so well this year. Yeah, I know, especially too. given that you guys couldn't do everything in person and sort of... Yeah, and, and you know, we're all concerned, right? Like, do our people maybe a little bit more, like, protective of money right now, which I totally understand. So, like, we were a little, you know, just a little nervous. Like, could we do it? And, like, we raised $100,000 during the podcast-a-thon, which was double wow. what we raised during last year's. So... And plus our viewership was amazing. We had like concurrent, I think we were between like 800 and 900 viewers for the entire seven hours. Incredible, man. Which felt pretty great, honestly. Like, because that's a, it's a big ask from people to come and tune in for that at the time. So yeah, super, super thankful. We had a great time uh, and uh, it's still available now if you want to go watch some. 
I'm glad that Mega Office has a permanent balloon fixture. Right, well, right, Mike? Mm, no, right? that was uh, that was permanent <laughs> for about 24 hours past. Let me tell you, I thought it was going to be way harder to clean up like six or 700 balloons. Uh, I put some needles on a big stick and just popped them all, and it was an incredible <laughs> amount of fun uh, to pop those balloons. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should go watch some of the podcasts I've done. I just, I don't know. Can you keep a stick with needles? That just sounds like a bad idea. Like, it's like, what is this for? I swear, it's just for popping balloons. It was immediately <laughs> dismantled. Don't worry. Like, it's a super weird thing to just keep around. But like three sewing needles, like taped onto the end of a, like a, a poster tube. Super easy. Great tool. This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Breaking up with your old wireless provider just got a whole lot easier thanks to Mint Mobile. They were the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, and now Mint Mobile is introducing their unlimited data plan for just 30 bucks a month. Yes, you heard me right. An unlimited plan for $30 a month. How much is your soon-to-be X wireless provider charging you? I bet it's more. Austin, I know that you've got a Mint Mobile SIM. Can you tell me how easy it was to get that thing set up? Oh, super easy, right? So they send you everything you need in a little packet. You put the SIM card in your phone, and within just a few minutes, you're activated. You either can move your phone number over, you can get a new one set up. And of course, with $30 a month unlimited plans, I mean, that's crazy. And you can get like tethering included on that plan as well. Tons of data. It is seriously a absolutely no-brainer now. For people that hate their phone bill and are ready for something new, Mint Mobile has their unlimited plan for just that 30 bucks a month. To do this by going online only, they eliminate the traditional costs of retail, pass their savings on to you, and that's what allows them to offer these fantastic deals. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone of any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. And look, if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with a seven-day money-back guarantee. So break up with big wireless and switch to Mint Mobile's premium limited plan for 30 bucks a month. That premium unlimited data plan for just 30 bucks a month to get your new wireless plan for just $30 a month and get that plan shipped to your door for free. Go to mintmobile.com slash test drivers. That's mintmobile.com slash test drivers. Cut your unlimited wireless bill to $30 a month at mintmobile.com slash test drivers or thanks to mint mobile for their support of this show and relay fm main event time my friend oh so, yeah you were right the series s not only exists it is go- it is on sale at the exact same time that the series x exists you do not have to eat the podcast after all Ooh. congratulations to you austin evans you thank you that one right. thank you i was a little stressed there for a minute um no the series s so in between our last recording session and now mm-hmm. It has been an avalanche of Xbox news. Some of it planned, a lot of it not. Mm -hmm. So essentially the way it went down was they had some leaks on Twitter. And obviously we had talked about the idea of something like a Series S for a long time, right? There had been like base rumors and specs and stuff, but nothing really was super concrete. More just like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But then they started leaking video, right? So there was the, on Twitter, you know, we had like stills of the Series S. We had a price. We had like renders. We had like what seemed to be like a snippet of the actual launch video. And people went bananas. I remember I was literally at dinner at my in-laws house. And I was like, oh, you know what? I think Xbox just leaked. Bye, guys. I can go to the office. It's time to make a video. And I was literally like, so, I don't know. It was like 8 p.m. or something on, I think it was like a Sunday or something. I don't remember when it was. But 
I came to the office, shot the video. I was literally halfway through rendering my video talking about the leaks when Xbox went, oh, hey, by the way, yeah, it's real. 300 bucks. We'll tell you more later. So I canceled render really quick. And I was like, okay, oh how do I recut my video, add the official stuff, and re-export uh, it and get it uploaded as fast as possible? I cut it very, very close. It's very funny, like for me in the UK, because all of this happened when I was asleep, right? Mm-hmm. So like I wake up the next day, and I open Twitter, and I see like, so many things happening, especially because like <laughs> I've I my t- well, like I see my tweets in like the algorithmic thing, right? So like mm-hmm. they're showing me all the top tweets, and it's like leaks. Now Xbox is saying this. Did I get a text from you? So it's like eight o'clock in the morning, nine o'clock in the morning for me. And you text me, and you're like, "Oh man, I've nearly got my video done." And I'm like, "What is happening?" Because <laughs> right? like, you know, it's that eight hour difference. Sometimes we can hit each other on like the exact opposite ends of our day, and it yep. was just absolutely bananas but like microsoft's approach here is incredibly new untested and yeah it's going to be very intriguing to see how this works out for them so we have two consoles two prices different specs yes and so at first right when this is announced to me it's like nailed it this is fantastic that pricing is incredible there's no way PlayStation's going to offer something comparative, right? Especially when the news came out of the subscriptions. So you can get it on a subscription with Game Pass over a two-year contract time, which is perfectly acceptable for a console. Mm-hmm. And then it ends up that if you would have bought the console and Game Pass, you do it on that two-year, you actually save money <laughs> over that two-year yeah. period, right? So like, it is a very, very good deal. And it seemed like to me, I was like, all right, they did it, right? Like, that's it, Microsoft. You picked it up, you ran with it, and you won the generation. And we'll pause there and talk about that. We'll come back to Sony in a little bit, right? But, like, that's kind of where I thought, right? Yeah. But let's talk about the choice you have to make with Microsoft, okay. right, between X and S. It's been interesting. So it's been a complete whirlwind, right, of just all the announcements. I've had the opportunity to talk with some of the guys on the actual Xbox sort of like internal staff about some of these. And it's been interesting because there's been some things that sort of I didn't really think about that really sort of opened my eyes to why they chose this approach. So one of which is actually it's really nerdy, but essentially they're projecting that this seven nanometer process, so the TSMC process that they're using to build not only the chip for the Series S, but also the X, is the last time that they will be able to get a smaller shrink that is cheaper. So traditionally, when it comes to a slim version of a console, the way it goes is the console will come out two, three years later or so, maybe four years later, but a few years into the life cycle, they will bring out a slim version of the console. It will be cheaper, largely because it will have a shrunken down version of the processor. It will be based on a newer sort of process. And because of that, they'll be able to shrink it down, cut the power requirements, shrink the console, et cetera, et cetera. They don't think that that's going to happen this time. They don't expect that when they go to the five nanometer or four or three or whatever the Mm. case is process in a few years, there will be any cheaper. So their thought was, well, you know what? If we're not going to be able to make a you know three $400 console in a few years, let's make it right now. Let's ship it day one, and then we'll see what happens later. But obviously, they're not going to confirm this. But it sounds like the next-gen Xboxes will be at the very least the same price, if not potentially even more expensive. So because of that, they made some very interesting choices with the Series S. So specifically, compared to the X... 
it is very similar in most aspects, right? It will play all the same games. It has a very similar processor. It's slightly lower clocked, but I mean, not something that you would notice. It does have a little bit less RAM, but it also has a significantly cut back GPU. So you're looking at around one third the performance Mm -hmm. of the Series X. And with optimization, a little bit of like squinting and, you know, some fuzzy math, it is roughly the same graphical horsepower as the Xbox One X. Now, it still has all of the new features you expect. Ray tracing, it's the RDNA 2.0 architecture. You have all the things that you have on Series X. You also have a standard SSD. You don't have to make any decision about games, right? Like all the games will run, but just the way that they run will be different. And depending on the type of person you are, you should know if that's going to bother you or not. Absolutely. So the official targets, now, and mind you, these are targets, right? You can, as a developer... Do whatever you want, right? But Microsoft have designed these consoles so that the Series X targets 4K 60 frames per second. The Series S targets 1440p 60. Now, there are some examples. So, in fact, uh, they have Gears 5 running on both, and those are the frame rates, right? So you get 4K 60 ultra settings on the Series X. You get those same settings, but uh, 1440p 60. And they both have 120 FPS modes available too. So again, using Gears as an example, the multiplayer runs at 120 on both. I think it's like 1080p on the Series S. But if you run the math, even though the Series S is aimed at 1440p, it has a lot less power. I personally believe that it'll be somewhere between 1080 and 1440 for a lot of games. I still think you'll be able to be running at 60 FPS if the X will do it. It is still, of course, capable of 120. But I do think... 1440p is maybe a little bit optimistic for what we'll really be able to see out of the Series S. But it's completely up to developers how they want to do it. I mean, technically it'll do 4K if you have a, a simpler game like a, a Minecraft or something may be able to run at 4K. But beyond that, the Series S is very similar. It does have less SSD space. So it's only 500, I believe 512 gigs as opposed to one terabyte. Yep. Um, that actually is not as big of a deal as it sounds because Series S games are actually smaller. So developers, just like they do with the Xbox One right oh, now, will okay. be able to compile their games with the lower-end textures because if you're not running the game at 4K, you don't need the 4K textures. Okay. So somewhere in the neighborhood of like maybe 20% to potentially a little higher than that, the games will be smaller. So you'll be able to save space. So again, 500 gigs is not going to be a lot, but you also can use the exact same expansion modules from the Series X. So if you do want more storage space... And beyond that, you also, of course, lose the optical disc, which on one hand means that the console is much smaller because it is a less powerful console. They don't have to package that disc drive in. It is tiny. It is significantly smaller than not only the X, but it is smaller than any other Xbox ever. It is smaller even than something like the One S. So I think the thing about this is it seems like on the first instance, it's like, all right, this seems like a good deal. But then it's like you have to start thinking about it. You have to make a decision, right? But ultimately, the reason that Microsoft have done all of this is because Microsoft don't want you to buy games anymore. They want you to sign up (laughs) for Game Pass. That is all they care about, which is why if you sign up for Game Pass, they will like give you a discount if you also want a new Xbox, right? Like you get the all access. All access is when you get the console and Game Pass all in one bundle, for two mm-hmm. years and you end up saving yourself some money basically if you you know because yeah. what they want you to do is have access to their games and they will and as we can see they're putting them everywhere right they're putting them on the pc where they can they're putting them on 
phones where they can via xcloud or whatever it's called now but like what we will just call mm-hmm. xcloud for the ease of trying to explain it which is where you basically stream the games like all microsoft care about is getting games in front of you i mean and then they went ahead and friggin' bought bethesda <laughs> right so like this now gives microsoft ownership of fallout elder scrolls doom wolfenstein dishonored and just so much more they funnily enough, the amount that they, they bought them for seven point five billion, which is three no times deal. what they paid for <laughs> Minecraft. <laughs> yeah, the math on that one, I'm not totally sure about, but okay. <laughs> and they, uh, the, and then the funny thing about it, which is just a footnote, is that Microsoft will now be releasing two timed PlayStation Five exclusives this year, which is absolutely hilarious. Um, but Microsoft has said they've honored it, right? And um, they're not saying right now about which or what would go exclusive to Xbox. They are saying, which I appreciate from from their side, like we are just going to monitor this as we go and whatever makes the most sense is what we will do. I think time has shown like Microsoft are not stupid, right? Because they never made uh, Minecraft exclusive to anything. Yes. Right? Yes. Because look, if you do not have the uh large large share of the pie if you uh make these games exclusive to a smaller install base you are losing money and if you keep the games available on playstation even if you time exclusive it to xbox which is probably what they'll do if it ends up that sony continues to win the gaming war well, you're still making money. You're now making money from your competitor, which actually is a pretty nice situation to be in, because, right? Especially when you paid seven and a half billion dollars for the rights to all of this stuff. But basically, what this does is there is an absolutely excellent back catalog of games that they now get to put on Game Pass, which is what Microsoft care about most. Yeah, I think it's gonna be really interesting to see just specifically how that shakes out because mm-hmm. I mean. Uh, we're looking at like if this was Sony, I think it would be very clear PlayStation exclusives all day, right? Like no doubt. Yep, they would lock that whole thing up because they could, and it would be great for them, right? Like that would be, that's their you know Sony's whole thing, right? Like Sony's whole mm-hmm. thing is we want to have the games and we want to lock them up and we want to be good with it. But you look at what Microsoft has done, right? I mean, at the start, obviously they had Xbox exclusives, and then they started bringing them out on PC, but they were still locked to the Windows Store. And now you could buy these Microsoft games on Steam as well. And then you look at how many of these games that they like stuff like Ori and Cuphead and whatnot that I don't know if they're true exclusives or not versus like stuff that they have deals with. But you see them coming out to things like the Switch. Obviously, mm-hmm. I think Minecraft is a great example of something that has had great support on all the platforms that it really had beforehand. I think Microsoft are doing a lot to earn a lot of goodwill. I think they're going into this console generation, firing on all cylinders. Game Pass is such a no-brainer. I mean, the difference is if you buy a Series S, right? I feel like, to me, looking at the S and the X almost sort of breaks down on how you want to play the consoles. Because if you want a console, they'll be able to play Halo and Gears and Forza and a handful of other next-gen games, and you don't really care that much about max graphics and everything, 25 bucks a month is an absolute no-brainer, right? I mean, Game Pass by itself is $15, right? Yeah. You're paying $10 a month for a console. I mean, that is, I think, a very good deal. Yeah, $25 a month gets you an Xbox Series S and Game Pass for that, for two, for two years, which is the length of the subscription. 
and that also includes Xbox Live Gold, right? Which you're almost definitely going to want if you want to do any kind of online gaming. You get all of those games. You get Game Pass. You get, uh, I guess, what is it? EA Play? EA Access? EA Play, yeah. They've, they've also linked that. So bringing together even more. I'd forgotten about that. So yeah. look, Microsoft have picked their business model and their business model is subscription. Like, yeah, we yes. make these games consoles, but like, just, just give us your monthly money, which look, mm-hmm. honestly, monthly recurring revenue is an absolutely fantastic business model. And the benefit absolutely. that that Xbox has is that it is a Microsoft product. So Microsoft can use their other very high money making businesses to pony up the cash to buy Bethesda. Sony can't do that, Right. I don't know if this is still accurate, but I know for a while throughout the PS4's life cycle, PlayStation was the most profitable part of Sony. That makes sense. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure how that will go into the next generation because consoles are a famously finicky business of like, you know, it costs billions of dollars to develop and you sort of hope that you get that back. But it's, you know, very, very risky kind of businesses. But even with that being said, Microsoft are an incredibly rich company. And the fact that they're throwing around billions like this just to secure their future of gaming, to me, shows a lot of confidence. Because it's easy to forget not that long ago, there were real questions. Was the Xbox brand going to continue? Were we going to see a next generation of consoles? Is this something that Microsoft really were Mm -hmm. dedicated to? And I think the last three or four years has, to me, proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are very serious about this. They want to not only continue the Xbox brand for consoles, But like you said, importantly, it's that monthly recurring revenue. It's Game Pass making it a very compelling sort of value. And that's not even to talk about the Series X, which I think is the other prong of this strategy and that the X is the most powerful console ever, which, I mean, let's be real. It's not a big difference over the PS5. We'll obviously see when we get our hands on them, but I don't imagine it's going to be any kind of dramatic shift. I think games will look very similar on PS5 and Series X. But you have that as that full fat experience where you have the ability to, you know, watch your Blu-rays and throw in your Xbox 360 discs and whatever it is that you want to do. And you're going to be doing that all at 4K or 120 or whatever the case is. So between those two consoles, I feel very good about where Xbox is. Mm -hmm. But Mike, I feel pretty good about where PlayStation is, too, because they also have made some very smart decisions. This console generation is much more competitive than I thought it was going to be. The pricing leaking and all that kind of stuff kind of fell into Sony's hand really nicely um, Mm -hmm. because the PlayStation 5, two versions, one is $499 if you get the disc. The other is $399 if you don't get the disc. And that's the only difference. I was ready to count Sony out and then that pricing and the lack of complexity for the PlayStation 5, for me personally, Austin, it pushes them back in again because I think the story has kind of become with Microsoft of like, if you are coming from the world of games consoles, like if that's your thing, right? Like you're coming to this as like, I buy games and I buy games consoles, which honestly is the majority of the market, right? Like Microsoft Mm -hmm. is doing very well with Game Pass, right? Like very, very well with Game Pass. But the market is I buy games and I play the games, right? Like that's the the existing market, which is a very lucrative one, right? At which Sony is owned. They've owned it through the PlayStation 4 generation. Yeah. And with all of the moves that Microsoft are making, I'm like, hmm, are they changing things here? Like, are we going into a new world? And there's a lot of excitement around it. But when those PlayStation 5 pricing and, and all of the availability stuff came out, I was like, no, you know what? <laughs> I think Sony's got it again. Because 
getting in at three nine nine for the PlayStation is a fantastic deal. Yeah, and I mean, like that's sort of the real difference there, right? Because when you look at the the PS Five, the standard edition, you put it beside Series X. I mean, again, there's very little in it between the two of them, right? Mm-hmm. They both have the disc drives. They both play all the same games. They're both going to be roughly the same level of power. The PS Five, I do think. When people actually get their hands on these, they're going to realize that they're absolutely enormous. But, I mean, whatever. I'm sure you'll figure it out. Yeah, the PlayStation 5 looks massive. <laughs> like, look, the move is put it behind the TV. You don't see it anymore. Job done. Right? True. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> but when you look at what they did with the digital edition, right? So it's it's actually not a really clear-cut answer between all four of these consoles. I think that there's legitimately a really good argument for any of mm-hmm. the four because series s obviously is the cheapest but it also is the least powerful right mm-hmm. out of all of the consoles series s is the only one that will give you a i guess less than optimal next-gen experience right you're not going to be playing stuff at 4k you'll still be playing the same games but they just won't look as sharp and as crisp as on the other consoles which if the only other options were 500 dollars, cool whatever you know it's, it's almost half the price it makes sense but considering that the discless ps5 is that's not as big of a jump. And to me, I'm really surprised that Sony did that because if you look at the optical disk drive included in the PS5, that probably cost them $20, maybe $25. There's simply not that much money in something like that. So the fact that they're taking such a big loss on the digital edition versus the, the standard PS5, to me, really makes me think that that is a pure like reaction to just how cheap the Series S is. And that Sony's willing to take a bit, well, not a bit, a much larger loss on the PS5 to stay competitive. And because of that, I think as gamers, we absolutely win. Because you can't go wrong with any four of the consoles, right? They all have their own selling points. They they all have their own strengths. And I look on the PlayStation side, unless you're really married to physical discs, get the digital edition. What are you doing? Like $100 for a Blu-ray drive? Like, get out of here, man. Yeah, but the thing is, is if you can find it. So... (laughs) Okay, so I have a little bit of info on this. So from what I've been able to gather for at least the launch, we'll see how it obviously goes into the future, but at least for launch, it seems like Sony have about five times the level of stock for the standard PlayStation 5 versus the digital edition. Mm -hmm. So $400 sounds great. Good luck trying to track one down. Yep. And then you might end up doing what I did, which is I want the digital edition, but I also would kind of like it on day one. So I put a Mm -hmm. pre-order in for the standard edition and I'm waiting to try and get a digital edition down the line. But if I can't, I'll just go with the one with the disc. I'm just like, whatever. I definitely don't think you're alone on that one. I think a lot of people are in that same boat. Because like, Mm -hmm. look, if you could just walk into a store and buy either, buy the digital, right? Like, the vast majority of of people i think are going to be far better served in saving that money but you look at something like well i really like like you said i really want it on day one i'm not gonna wait six months to try to get a playstation i want to go play um something especially because my day one is a week later than your day one oh yeah that's weird that's weird uh yeah well at least you get xbox day one wait wait mike i didn't even ask did you pre-order an xbox well, so this is what I was going to tell you. So Xbox pre-orders are happening right now, right? Uh, and, oh. and I saw it, I saw it on, on Twitter. I was, I was like, oh, Xbox pre-orders are up. I didn't realize that like it actually started earlier in the UK, right? So like... Oh, did it? They did it earlier in the day. 
And I was like, let me go see Amazon. Amazon had the Series S. It was like, the Series X is completely gone, but the Series S is still available. So I was like, okay. So I pre-ordered a Series S as well. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, nice. It's £250. Yeah. So here's the thing. For me, the reason I did it is I I have made my decision that like, my next-gen console is the PlayStation 5 because yeah. I've been in on PlayStation before. I am happier about the exclusive titles that PlayStation got, even though, funnily enough, Microsoft now own one of them, which is Deathloop, which is hilarious <laughs> to me. But, like, you know, I've been in PlayStation for years now. It's kind of been my choice, and, you know, I've, I've dabbled in an Xbox here and there. I do have a Game Pass subscription. So I've yeah. played Game Pass games on uh, my PC and stuff. So I was like... I would get a 250 pound Game Pass machine. Yes. And I think this might be what Microsoft is holding on to. So I think they're going to do yep. well on this. But honestly, I still think PlayStation is going to win out, Austin. I do. I think you've made the absolute correct decision. I've talked to so many people in my life about like, what should I get? What should I get? And I feel like that is absolutely the move, right? Most people are probably going to be better served with the PlayStation 5, right? Nothing against Series X or whatever. But I think. A really good combination is a PlayStation 5 and a Series S as sort of like your Game Pass box, right? And even more so than that, I've talked to a lot of people who don't even care that much about gaming. Like, oh, you know what? I kind of want one of these consoles. How about that Series S, though? I'm like, yeah, go get it on all access, right? 25 bucks a month. You'll get all the games you need. You don't have to buy anything for it. You'll get the console. It's really affordable. Like, to me, that Series S, I think, is really probably going to be and obviously we'll see because I, I think at launch it definitely sounds like the x is outselling the s but i think you go long term you can't get like that we effect of people just being like oh yeah we'll have that in the living room or whatever that'll just be like the console i think those series s's are going to sell like gangbusters i will say this console war is far more exciting contentious and unpredictable than i was expecting it was going to be you know, yeah. it kind of felt like Sony had such a lead for the PlayStation 4 that like Microsoft could could not even try. But they have really pulled together a lot of strategy, which is making them much more of a contender for this generation than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is an absolute war we've got on our hands, which is great because like nothing against last gen, but it was uh, a little boring. Like it wasn't really like blow for blow. Microsoft just messed up so bad. Like they stumbled yep. at the first hurdle and they stumbled so hard yep. that it, they, they, they ended up making up some ground, but we were way into second generation of the, of that. Well, the second iteration of the generation before they got yep. there. Right. Yep. And, and like with what, what did they call the, uh, it wasn't Scarlet. That was this Scorpio. Right. Yeah. With the one X. Where's the VR support that they promised for that? By the way, that never happened. (laughs) That never happened. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure it'll come out in never. (laughs) Can you imagine? Like, oh, we just put out uh, VR support for the One X. It's not available in the Series (laughs) X. Don't worry about it. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Do you have a website? Does your website have a shopping cart, registration form, or contact us page? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you need Pingdom because you do not want these critical website transactions to fail and you not know about them. This is a bad experience for your users. It's a bad experience for you as well because you may lose the business. 
The good news is you can set up transaction monitoring with Pingdom. It will alert you when your cart checkout forms or login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. Pingdom will let you know the moment any of these uh, parts of your websites have any problems in whatever way works best for you. You can customize who's alerted and how you're alerted depending on the severity of the outage. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience as possible. If disaster strikes, you'll be the first to know. Super easy to get started. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code TESTDRIVERS to check out and you'll get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. So we delayed our episode a little bit because uh, Apple had an event last week and my week just exploded and we were just like, all right, let's push it. Because <laughs> we don't, you know, we were pretty sure it was going to be the watch and the iPad, which wasn't going to mm-hmm. be like gangbusters for this, for this show, but just in case yeah. you never knew what they were going to do. Um, I would say that like my feeling on the event was the products that they released seemed great for people that want them, but I'm just not a person that wants either a new Apple watch or a new iPad air, but they seem like really great for the people that are interested in them, I guess. Yeah. I I think it was like one of those things where obviously 2020 being the year that it is, we're getting products in a different way. We're getting events in a different way. I actually don't mind an event like this because I feel like there's easily a version of this where they just drop those on the store, right? They did like a press release. You see a Verge article and it's just on sale. So having like at least a small event and they were pretty forthcoming right out the gate saying, hey, look, we're talking about iPad and watch today. Like don't expect iPhone like that. I appreciate that, right? It's like, okay, you know what? I always like enjoying, I always enjoy watching an Apple keynote. It's always entertaining to see. And we did get a few I think pretty interesting things. So the watch series six looks fine. The colors look cool. I'm not going to get a red watch, but I'm sure if that's what you're after, it's, it's interesting. You've got the better always on display, which I'm curious to see. Cause I know that the always on display was available on series five, but the battery was kind of trash. The battery life apparently has not, has not been uh, changed at all. Apple's still quoting the same battery life. Even with the always on display. Yeah. Eh, okay, so uh, maybe less than useful. Uh, okay, so actually, hang on. We got to take a little sidebar here. Okay. You're not really using an Apple Watch very often, right? You're still... I have it on today. I will kind of wear it for a week at a time, but then I rotate it out with a, with a non-Apple Watch watch. Okay, okay. So I'm still on Series 4. Watches are one of the things where I upgrade every two, three years or so because, I mean, it's a watch, right? I think you should. I think you should go from four to six. You think I should? Yeah, I do. Okay, so the reason I bring this up is because I have loved my 4. I have had no reason to upgrade it whatsoever until I upgraded to WatchOS 7. Mike, I don't know what is happening. Oh, Austin, okay, okay, okay. You're having bad battery life? Oh my God, it's awful. It's so bad. Yeah, there's some reports of this. I'm going to give you something to try, okay? This has happened to another co-host of mine, Jason Snell. Yeah. Unpair and repair your Apple Watch of your phone. It basically, oh. the unpairing, repairing process of an Apple Watch is basically like a fresh restart because it, it effectively wipes it and you put all the stuff back on it again. He was having like half the battery life 
and this fixed it for him. So look, this is okay. one of the many things that people will tell you to do if you say you're having problems. Like people say, turn off hand washing, turn off this, turn off that. Like give that a go because it definitely worked for him. So try that. But okay. I do think that like it might be time to look at an upgrade because I will say for me, the only reason that the Apple Watch has re-entered my life again is the always-on display. Like mm-hmm. I think it's great Like because I... Look, I think watches, their their, fun, their their primary purpose is to show you the time, and a watch that doesn't show you the time at all times is broken for me, which is why I stopped <laughs> wearing an Apple Watch. But the Series 5 brought me back because now I have the time at all times. And the Series 6 looks like it has a much brighter always-on display, which, you know, I would like that, but that's not enough for me to move. The blood oxygen right. sensor seems cool, but... Like, uh, uh, you know, I'm not super fussed about that feature, but just mm-hmm. purely because it kind of feels like to me, no one can really tell me why I need it definitively, including Apple. Like, this is one yeah. where they're saying it's for wellness, not medical, which is different to the way that they position their other sensors. So, you know, yes. it's called the Apple Watch SE, cheaper watch. Uh, <sighs> it's not, it's more expensive than I was expecting, and they're still yeah. keeping the Series 3 around, so they haven't yeah. gotten this product to where it needs to be yet, in my opinion. no. I was like, okay, cool, interesting. I mean, it's a classic parts bin, I guess, watch, I guess would be the way to say it. Like, I mean, it's got a lot of stuff that's sort of a mixed match between, like, it's got the larger display of, like, Series 4 and up, but then you're missing some features. Two ninety nine is just, I don't know. Like, I just, well, I would just go buy the Series 3 or the Series 6. The SE is this weird sort of middle ground. I, uh, okay, look, I kind of, uh, all right, this is hard to say. This is hard to say, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to come out and say it. As much as I complain about the Apple Watch, it is low-key probably my favorite Apple product. I use the watch for everything, right? So as a Z Flip gang member, a lot of times I'm rocking my LT watch and the Z Flip with no iPhone, right? I use it as mm. my smartwatch. I get basically all the same notifications that we get on Z Flip, I get on the watch. So it keeps me from having to open it up and unfold it all the time. I actually do use the LTE a fair bit. Now with WatchOS 7, even though my battery life went from like, ending the day at 60% to it being dead before I even get home, which is irritating. But I've been charging it multiple times a day because I like the idea of keeping all my health data in one place. I really like the idea of the sleep tracking. I've actually been doing that for the last four or five days, and that's been nice, although having to charge my watch twice a day just to keep that running has not been great. But I can't... It's hard for me to get around. So Quinn actually was talking about this on Twitter the other day, and I think he had like a great point. It's hard for me to wrap my head around the idea of a watch needing an upgrade so often. Like, to me, like, it's just, like, it doesn't feel... I don't feel good about that. Like, I don't know what it is, but, like, a phone, I will, you know, get a new phone every year. Like, that's totally fine. Like, I see the major improvements. But a watch, I just have an expectation. Like, I want to use a watch for a few years, right? And Mm -hmm. I... It's tough. It's tough because it's a device that I probably use more often than my iPhone. But like my mentality between the two just could not be more different. But I think that the Series 5 to 6 shows that this is not a product that most people should be updating. Like basically anyone should be updating on a yearly basis. Right. Because the differences are very small. So, you know, and I think Apple, sh- honestly, I think Apple should keep it that way. I think it should, the, the, the watches should iterate more slowly than the phones. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they've done that. I would say four to five was big. Three to four was pretty big. Like four to yeah. five was was unexpectedly big because the always on display was a big surprise. But mm-hmm. I think five to six is like totally a skippable 
thing yeah. for most people. I, I, but I, I do think that like if you're on a three or a four, like it's totally worth <sighs> looking at. Okay, I might have to look into it because I'm going to try to repair and see if that fixes it. Because honestly, if yeah, my battery is fine, I'm going to stick with the four. I, I feel like there's nothing that really pulls to me with the six. Have you used one with an always-on display for, a, for an extended period of time? I've never even put a Series 5 or Series 6 yeah, on I'm my watch. You, man, I'm telling you right now, the always-on display will change the way you feel about the watch. Because uh, do you not ever get the thing where you look down for the time and it doesn't give you it? Of course, but I've been I've worn an Apple Watch every day since the Series Zero, so I'm just kind of like I exaggerate my hand motion, and I just that's just how it is. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Let me go to Apple.com and take a, a little poke around to see what the watch is. Maybe I'll get like an aluminum instead of stainless because I do usually like the stainless because so, I again I like to keep my watches for a few years and I really like the look of the stainless. Well, unless you're interested in the graphite one, that's a kind of a cool looking look. But that's the stainless. Uh, but then again, I just it's hard to spend that much money for something I'm going to get 12 months of use out of. Ah, mm. uh, the watch is weird, man. But you know what's not weird is the iPad Air. Dude, that thing is great. That thing looks legitimately like a huge, huge step forward. Like, I'm so happy that they finally brought all of that sort of new design language over. Because the old iPad Air was just a awful pickup. Like, it just made no sense when the base model iPad existed. So tell tell me what you think about this. Because like th- th- this this iPad is is quite interesting because it is it's basically like the iPad like an iPad Pro in a many, many ways. Really, the only things it doesn't have is it has two speakers instead of four and it has mm-hmm. a regular display, not the high refresh rate ProMotion display. Right. Outside of that, it's basically the same. It, has, it doesn't have a LiDAR. Oh, oh no. I don't I have know, an ultra wide camera and a LiDAR. Can you imagine? Unacceptable. <laughs> okay, uh, so look, yeah, no, I 100% agree. I think... It is very hard to recommend anyone to buy an iPad Pro right now, mm-hmm. right? And I, use, I say that as someone who uses an iPad Pro on a pretty much daily basis, right? That's sort of my, my daily machine. The iPad Air just makes sense, right? You don't really lose much. I will say going from 120 to 60 is, isn't great, I guess. But, I mean, whatever. It, it, that kind of price difference is not a big deal. But most people aren't going to do that. Right, like yeah, they will be coming from another sixty hertz iPad. Like people, I can't imagine many people would go from any Pro to this one. Anyway, but there's a lot of people who are on base iPads or older yeah. iPad Airs or whatever that will upgrade to this and get that newer design language. You'll mm-hmm. get the bigger screen real estate, all that kind of stuff. Look, I'm all about the iPad Air. I actually think that it really does go to show that if they're being this aggressive on the new iPad Air then there's got to be a, a pretty substantial pro upgrade on the horizon. There's no way they're just going to let it sit there with just being like, oh, you get a slightly better screen, right? I feel like we've got to see like a mini LED iPad Pro and 5G. Like, I feel like that needs to be what we see in that next generation iPad Pro if they've been that aggressive on the air of just pushing it so far forward this time. I wonder when, though. That's the, mo- that's the key, right? When? When are we going to see that? I don't think it's this year we're going to see an iPad Pro update. I think it's probably... Early next year? Yeah. Well, because we have so many different Apple products, right? I mean, you've got all these iPhones. We've got, of course, the new Apple Silicon Max. Headphones. Yep, yep, headphones. Um, There's a lot of stuff, I guess. So I'm not surprised if it takes a little bit of time. But you know something interesting? So I'm actually excited for the iPad Air for a very different reason, which is this is the first product shipping with the Apple A14 chip, which is unusual because usually the next generation chips, they debut on the iPhone and then they trickle down to 
the iPad Air, the iPad Pro, whatever the case is. But yeah. this is actually the first time we're going to actually be able to try out what will be in not only all of the new iPhones, but importantly for me, at least it will be the basis of what I'm sure these Apple Silicon Macs will be running as well, probably beefed up, but still that sort of same base architecture. So here's the thing. So there was an excellent Anontech article written up about the differences in the performance between the A14 and previous generations. So, of course, we'll have it in the show notes. But the, the gist of it is they were talking a lot on, uh, on stage about how, or I guess, is it on stage? In the Silicon Lab? In the, they're like the Apple Silicon Lab, which I actually now don't believe is a real place. What? Wait, what do you mean? Wait, Mike, don't tell me that. What do you mean it's not a real place? I reckon that that's the set now. Oh. I don't think that's where the work's getting done. I really don't. I mean, it's the coolest set in the face of the planet, and I want to live there, but okay. I mean, my, my feeling on that is that that room may have once been or is some kind of working room, but is very particularly set up so they can film yes. in there. It is absolutely 1,000% sanitized. If you saw that yeah. they had like the little iPhone prototypes in there, yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> you just you shattered a little bit of my heart because I really want to visit that Apple Silicon Lab one day and I want to believe it's a real place. That place <laughs> exists and I'm sure they have lots of places like that. But that particular one, I believe yeah. now, is kind of kept very uh, fixed in a moment of time. Yes, I do agree. I do agree. But regardless, what they showed inside there was uh, they were talking about the idea that it was like, you know, 20%, 40% faster. But they were talking about those metrics as opposed to the previous generation iPad Air. So Anantec did the math, and essentially you're looking at something like maybe as small as a 15 16% improvement from the last generation iPhone chip to this chip. And even something like on the GPU, it could be leaving like less than 10%. Now, that's unusual because, I mean, Apple has typically been very much ahead of the game on the Silicon side. They've had these huge leaps forward. And, you know, looking at 10, 5 to 10% performance improvements year over year is honestly really small, especially considering that when you have that chip in an iPad, generally speaking, you should have a little bit more thermal headroom. So I'm going to be curious to see. I really want to get my hands on the iPad Air and really run it through its paces because this really does feel like the the benchmark that this next generation of chips on, not only iPad, but iPhone and Mac are all going to be based on. And I think part of that could be that five nanometer process. I don't necessarily know if that's giving them the performance that they really want out of the next gen chip. So for very, very nerdy reasons, I'm excited for the iPad Air just so I can crack it open and see what's inside. I would say I'm not sure. I'm actually pretty sure that we have not seen the full story behind that chip yet. Well, I mean, we know that because like they didn't talk at all about like stuff like the ISP as far as like we assume that the next iPhone may have stuff like 4K 120 or 240 mm-hmm. slow motion. Who knows if it has, I don't know if it's higher megapixel cameras, but if it has whatever they use that extra bandwidth for to improve the image processing and stuff, I bet there's a lot on that front of things. And we know that it's on the AI processing, it's more powerful, but I'm always about the speeds and feeds, man. I want my Geekbench score. I want my 3D Mark score. I want my frames and my, uh, my rays, my, 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 my. You want your rays to trace and your frames to write. There we go. There we go. So I'm going to be curious to try that. But regardless, I think it was a decent event, and I think that it's a, a little a little taste test for the iPhone goodness and Apple Silicon madness to come. Any day now. Ooh. Surprise emergency podcast. Let's oh, go, God, boys. Don't do it to me. 